You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. All right. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Y'all ready to dive in because I got a lot of ground I want to cover today, if that's all right with everybody. Y'all, y'all ready to hear um, some, some of God's word this morning? All six of you, y'all are great. Thank you very much. Uh, today we begin a series on marriage. And I know how that can be for a lot of people in the room. Like the single people in the room are like, oh, I'll see you in four weeks. Um, you need it more than anybody. Because you got a chance to get it right from the beginning. So, and you may think, like, I am a long way from marriage. Good. Like, you probably need to be. And there's some things that we're going to walk through over the next four weeks that um, you can just almost see like this is like a premarital counseling session for a few weeks. And you think, well, I'm never going to get married. Yeah, right. They're going to come along, sweep you off your feet, and it's going to be beautiful. Maybe. And then there's people in the room, too, that I know, like, um, have been divorced and have not gotten this whole marriage thing right. And, and, I, and, I, and I feel that tension every time we teach on what God's Word says about marriage. And, and let me just go ahead and say, my goal is in no way to try to get you to feel any unnecessary guilt or shame over that. I will hope that if there are things that you have yet to learn, that God will teach you whatever you need to learn that caused those problems or contributed to those problems so that you are healed from those things and you don't carry them into the future relationships God may allow you to have. And then there's people in the room that, like, uh, you think your marriage is awesome. But the reality is it can, we, we can all get better. Amen? Like, there's, all, there's always things. That, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I am not a marriage expert. That is an oxymoron. They do not exist. And if anybody tells you that, just go ahead and call them a moron because they're, they don't. They're, I, my wife and I have been married uh, 17 and a, almost 17 and a half years now. Um, thank you. She's put up with me for 17 and a half years. That was people who know me that cheered. They're like, Ooh, Ashley. Um, but this is a, a very important subject that we need to deal with because I feel like a lot of the issues that we experience as a culture, if you, if you walk them back, it begins with a breakdown in the home. It begins with the destruction of family and marriage. Anybody with me on that? And um, I feel like we live in a culture that, I'll say it, okay, um, that we, we, we treat the symptoms instead of trying to get to the source. Because it's easier to treat the symptoms when we won't, don't even want to acknowledge what the real source is. And the real source is sin, and the only solution is Jesus. And so it's easier just to try to treat the symptoms. Some believer in the room should have said amen to that statement. Come on, somebody, right? Like everything that we see is symptoms of a sin problem. And the only solution to the sin problem is Jesus. Come on, church. Amen, somebody. Y'all preach with me this morning. That's the truth. Some, you know, amen. it's going to be a tough morning. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, well, today, I just, and, and you know, as a, as a pastor, uh, I'm tired of watching marriages fall apart. I am, man. I'm tired of watching the enemy win in that arena. And I'm not, I don't know how to tell you to have the perfect marriage because I don't think there's such a thing because you've got two imperfect people trying to come together to form 
this covenant relationship. But I think God's word says some things that we need to learn. Because, and you know, I know marriage is hard. I, and, and we say that all the time, marriage is hard. But can I just say that, like, I think there's a lot of things that we're doing that is making marriage harder than it has to be. And I think the only, you know, and, and if we want to get it right, we need to do it right. And it's like, I went into the kitchen the other day, and, and, and Leah, my little girl, was trying to open her drink. And, like, she just could not open it. She could not open it. She, she said, Daddy, can you help me? And I was watching her, and I looked at her, and I said, Baby, you're turning the cap the wrong way. And, like, the reason why you can't get open is because you're doing it wrong. And I would say the reason why marriage is falling apart is because we're doing it wrong. We're, not trying, we're, not, we're trying to do it a way that culture has defined marriage, just like everything else. And we haven't gotten back to the God's word, who, who the, the creator of this beautiful relationship. And, and to look to do it the way he said we should do it and approach it the way he said we should approach it. And I'm convinced that the only way to have marriages that thrive is to do it God's way. And yeah, that's difficult, but what will happen within the marriage relationship and the beauty that can be born within that covenant if we do it God's way is so absolutely beautiful and awesome that let's just do it God's way because it was what's getting scary is and we know the statistics about the number of marriages that end in divorce and how high that rate is. And there's probably a very few people in this room that happen to, to make it um, uh, even to your own marriage without watching the, maybe the marriage of your own parents end up dissolving. But what's crazy now is more and more people are choosing not to get married because of our horror stories. We're not painting a very pretty picture at times. And so my hope is over the next few weeks that we'll dive into God's word and we'll see what it really has to say about this beautiful relationship of marriage and, 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 and uncover some things. And so I've got a lot of ground to cover. And, and today the principle I want to teach on is, is one that you see and hear during every wedding ceremony. Right, like you, uh, uh, it's funny. Like when Ashley and I got married, mar weddings have really changed. Uh, it, uh, Ashley and I got married in a church. I know that's crazy. Like people used to get married in churches. I got married in a tuxedo, and now, like last night, I did a wedding in a front yard in jeans, boots, and a button-down, and it was awesome. Like, whoever thought this whole, this whole tuxedo stuff, I'm, whoever broke that trend, to you, brother. And it's awesome how individual weddings are being, becoming because they're reflecting the personalities of the bride and groom. And I think it's really, really cool. But one of the parts of the ceremony when Ashley and I got married was, well, and, and just about every ceremony has a, a something that reflects this concept of marriage. And it's some type of unity ceremony. Like, if, if, like us, all we had was the candle. Like back in the day, like your mama and your daddy and her mama and her daddy would walk down the aisle. There'd be these three in a big candelabra thing. It was gold and shiny, looked like it came out of some kind of treasure chest. Ferns everywhere. It was ugly. I don't know why we, anyway. I wanted to get one of those up here, but Christian told me I couldn't. Um, but they would go and they'd light one candle, like the parents of the groom lighting the candle representing the groom, and the parents of the bride lighting the, the candle representing the bride. And then somewhere in the service, during some beautiful or not so beautiful song, somebody would be singing, and you'd go, you'd pull your candle out, and you'd light that cinder count, and you would blow away all your hopes and dreams as an individual. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just that sound gets somebody a shiver, doesn't it? And now the two have become one. 
And now there's really cool ways of doing this. I've seen all kinds of different ones, like the braiding of three strands I did just last night at a wedding. And the unity cross and has all these, this meaning. But one of the cool ones is, have you ever seen the sand ceremony? Where basically you have these three different kinds of sand. And I'm going to go ahead and confess, we forgot that we needed two sets of sand for both services. So y'all getting the cheap version of the sand ceremony. Is that okay? Okay, thank you. But you got two, like you got three bottles of sand. And you do this during the ceremony, you got like the, this beautiful pink sand that represents the bride and all of her beauty and her glory and all that she brings into the marriage and all her gifts and talents and all that kind of stuff. Then you got the dude. That's all you say about the dude. No, I'm just kidding. Then you got the guy, the man, the groom that brings all his individual gifts and talents and all that God shaped him to be bringing into the marriage. And the cool thing about the sand ceremony is you got a third sand, that, the white sand that represents God. And it all begins with like pouring this foundation of this white sand that, that goes in to represent God, the creator, the one that gave these two individuals lives. And, it, and it's kind of the base, the foundation of their lives together and their relationship. And then typically you take and you pour the, like the bride sand representing her life as an individual and kind of what she brings into the marriage and all that she has there. And then the groom and all that he brings to the marriage relationship individually pouring. And then typically there's another layer of, of white sand that kind of comes in and represents God that brought these two beautiful people together in this beautiful relationship and they're going to dance later and it's going to be awesome. And then there's a time when simultaneously at one time, both the bride and the groom pour their sand in together. And the sand gets interwoven and it mingles and it comes together, symbolizing the first thing that God ever said about the relationship. That the two shall become one. And at just about every single, isn't that pretty? Some of y'all got this on your mantle. And every time you get in a fight, you think, I will pour that in the toilet today. <laughs> I said toilet from the platform twice. It's this beautiful ceremony that represents a very real biblical truth says, the two shall become one. That like in God's economy, in marriage, one plus one equals one. And we need to wrestle with that a little bit today. And, and this idea and this image is, is not just seen in one time in Scripture. It's laced throughout Scripture from the Genesis story as Adam and Eve, the very first marriage. It refers to them. Jesus refers to that passage multiple times. It's repeated by Paul and others in the, in the New Testament. And, 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 and this reality, the two shall become one, gives us insight, a lot of understanding of what, what God intended for the marriage relationship, and it also helps us understand when it doesn't go as planned, why it's so painful. Because, see, there's been a lot of people that have stood in front of their friends and family and participated in this ceremony with all the intentions of becoming one, but we have seen it not always quite work out that way. 
But in God's ideal, he meant for marriage to be one and done. In God's ideal. Amen? Come on. Like, that's God's ideal. And, and again, I know that there are people in the room like, that, that's not your story. And again, my goal is not to create guilt or shame or anything in you. But let's just be honest about what God's word says. In God's ideal, ideal was one and done. And now we know, and that's why, and when you understand that, you understand why, why divorce is so painful. Because when you start trying to pull up, when you try to unwind what has been made one, it's going to hurt. It's not going to be an easy, simple process, no matter what the circumstances are. Like if I handed this back to you and said, okay, I need you, these, these sands that have been warned, unwind them. Anybody want to try that? No. Can it be done? Probably. But it's going to be a long, difficult, tedious, painful process. And the reason why it's so painful when marriages don't make it is because of what God originally intended them to be. Like if, if you take this, this piece of paper, this, this one piece of paper, to unwind this one piece of paper, the only way to do it is to tear it apart. And when things get torn apart, do you see those rough edges that are left? And some of y'all have, have dealt with that. And it's hurtful and it's painful. And the reason why divorce is so painful, and some of you, whether you've been in it yourself and the marriages that you've had that, that didn't make it, or some of you who are, who are kids that have walked through that process, the reason why it's been so painful is because it has deviated from what God originally wanted for it and ideally intended it to be. And when that happens, it, it's going to hurt. But thank God for His grace and His mercy and His healing. You know, Jesus was asked this question about divorce because it had become, in his day, even like a really common practice. Like, people were, were getting divorced and, and, and right and left, and they could kind of have any excuse, and basically they could walk away from their, their marriages and understanding that marriage and women and the roles and this kind of stuff, in his day, was a totally different story. And he says, and somebody comes and questions Jesus, says, Jesus, kind of, what do you think about divorce? Because Moses kind of allowed it. And Jesus says, yeah, Moses allowed it because you got to understand, Moses had to deal with it on the other side of ideal. Because, see, the first marriage was created in ideal. And Jesus references it in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. But at the beginning of creation, in other words, before the fall, before sin came in and messed everything up, you realize sin is what has compromised all of God's ideal. See, and it, there, was, there was an ideal world at one time. There was a world without, without sickness, without disease, without natural disasters and mass shootings. And then sin entered the world, and it broke everything, including God's ideal for marriage. But he says, see, in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and, and father and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, God's pointing back to the ideal that before the fall, God, Jesus is reminding you, like, this was God's ideal. This was God's original plan for marriage was, was 
was messed up by sin. And he's still, that's his desire for all of our marriages is that it is one and done. But because we're on this side of sin, sin has messed up marriage like it's messed up everything else in our world. And for a moment, Adam and, I, Adam and Eve got to have the ideal marriage, the only one that ever existed for a short time. Adam and Eve had the ideal marriage. They lived in a tropical paradise with no kids and no clothes. That's the ideal marriage, bro. <laughs> and then sin came in, and it ruined everything. But the reason why I have to bring that up is because it's what God's word says. God says, the two shall become one. And when you become one, God's desire is that that's one and done. And I, again, I know that's not everybody's story. But when you make and understand that that's God's ideal for it, I hope you'll fight for it like never before. And understand that that's what God desires for your relationship. And for that to happen, there's some things that we have to understand. And what I want us to do is, is as we look forward, what do we do to operate as one? For those who are, who are sitting in the room and you're married or you're going into marriage at some point in the near future or the distant future, that your ideal, the ideal that God has for your marriage now and your marriage in the future is that it is one and done. And to understand that, you've got to understand some things about marriage. And see, some of us are convinced that the key to one and done is to find the one. I hear this all the time. Like we're looking for the one. He's my soulmate. She completes me. Shut up. <laughs> and see, that's kind of what this, this nice romantic thing our culture has done and that kind of stuff. But sometimes when we start kind of thinking in this terms of the one, we're putting pressure on the relationship and on the people that they cannot withstand, that they cannot handle. There is no perfect one out there and if you believe that that's true find them and marry them then you'll realize I was right and that's the difficulty of marriage is you have two imperfect people coming together to form this perfect union that God has created but this whole the one thing first of all this whole com if, if you're look if you feel like that you need a single people can I talk to you for a second if you feel like you need a spouse to complete you, there is something that you are missing from God that you need to get before you get married. Because incomplete plus incomplete, guess what it equals? It doesn't mean whole. You're just so perfect. He likes things I don't like. We just opposites attract. Yeah, opposites attack. <laughs> Give it a minute. See, the only way you can ever be full and the only way you can ever be complete is in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you want to have a marriage that thrives, you can never look to another human being to give you what only God can. And when you do, you'll put so much pressure on your marriage that it will never be able to handle it. Because when you look to get from another person what only God can give you, it will always end poorly. That you are made whole in Christ. You are complete in Him. 
And you need to allow him to do some things in your life. First, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Not in him or her or job or paycheck or career or degree. In him you have brought to fullness. And when two people, when a man and a woman join themselves in marriage who have been made whole in Christ, that is the best way, I would submit the only way to succeed and thrive in the marriage relationship. Write this down. Only God holds what I need to be whole. The sooner you learn that, the better your life will be. Only God holds what I need to be whole. Put it on a notebook pad. Put it somewhere where you can see it every day. Tattoo it on your forehead. Something where you can see it. Only God holds what I need to be whole. And when you, because when you start looking to your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your kids or some other relationship to give you what only God can give you, you're turning them into an idol. And what you idolize, you will eventually demonize when they fail to meet the need that only God can meet. The other thing is, here's, some, here's a good piece of advice. Stop looking for the one and start becoming the one. That's good. Stop looking for the one and start becoming the one. You will never be the spouse they need you to be until you become the child of God you've been called to be. If you can get that right, what you'll be able to do in the covenant of marriage will be all that God intended it to be. Stop looking for the one. James 1, 4. Let us, let uh, perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. I think mature and complete is a good way to step into a marriage because the alternative is incomplete and immature. We've all seen that happen. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. God has called you to a relationship of oneness. The two become one flesh, and if the two become one flesh, God's ideal is that that is one and done and that he be the one to make you whole so that in that oneness you can function and thrive. And also for that to happen, you've got to continue to remember priority one. The moment you let your spouse become priority over God, your marriage is in trouble. And so often we all see this happen where all of a sudden we found this one who swept us off our feet and they have all these things and they're great and they're gorgeous and they have this and they have that and all of a sudden now all my time is being dominated and I'm focusing on them and I'm making sure that they're happy and I'm trying to meet all their needs and next thing you know, they have become our God and they have not become our priority. If you want to rate, function and have a thriving marriage, your priorities have to continue to be like this. God won them too. Come on. God won them too. God has to continue to be your priority one. You know Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You have to keep God first. You notice the first layer of sand that we poured into this jar was the white sand, the God sand. God has to remain priority 
in your relationship list. And see, I think all of us get that, but there's a, a time in, in a lot of families where this priority begins to get mixed up. Because you notice I said that God's design for your priority is him first, your spouse second, and then so on and so forth. And that works till that little baby comes along. And then all of a sudden, spouse becomes three and baby becomes two, and you wonder why your marriage is struggling. We're going to talk about that. In two weeks from today, I'm going to preach a message called Recipe for Divorce. I'm going to tell you the four things I see people do. And if you do any one of those four things, especially if you do all four, I guarantee you eventually your marriage will dissolve. And one of those relates to that point. Because there's a certain way that God has designed our priorities that we must keep them or our marriage will be threatened. Next thing. If you're going to have a marriage that is one the way God intended it to be and live out its ideal, it has to be all for one. All for one. That mar- you hear people say, marriage is 50-50. No, it ain't. Marriage is 100 and 100 at all times. Come on, somebody. Like you, have, you both have to be all in at all times. And you all ha- both have to be, every time I sit before a couple, when a couple is struggling and their marriage isn't thriving and they're having a hard time, but the first question I ask is, are you both 100% committed to this marriage working? Because you can never want it enough for them. And they can never want it enough for you. And if you want your marriage to thrive, you both have to be completely committed to seeing it healthy. Come on, you with me? Say amen. And that can't happen when you're focused on you all the time. See, I know we live in a culture that loves to talk about me. Me, 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 me. But when you get married, when you stand before God and your friends and family and you participate in this ceremony and you say, so death to us part forever, forever, now we are at one, your me becomes a we. And the problem with marriages is we try to go back and forth operating between me and we, and 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 me and we. That's annoying, ain't it? The same way in a marriage. And see, and this, our culture has told us that don't do this because don't let her rob you of your me. Don't let him. You are a strong, independent woman. Don't you let him take your me. And I understand what you're saying. And marriage is not surrendering all the beautiful things that make you you that God has created. It's a fusion of all those things with another person. And when you want to be all about me, instead of all about we, then it's going to do damage to your marriage and it's never going to thrive. And especially it can't be, okay, I'm about me today, but I'll be about we tomorrow. This is about me. This is about we. This is and when you try to move back and forth between these two mindsets, and nobody's saying that you don't have your own hobbies and interests and those kinds of things like that. But you know what? When, when you start saying, well, my, our we is getting in the way of me hunting and fishing and loving every day. And it's a problem. See, when you stood up there and you made that commitment to we, it wasn't a part-time commitment. It wasn't something that you get to turn on and off when it's convenient for you or if it's out your schedule or when it's easy. United as one flesh. 
and one for all. All for one. This is about, uh, it's saying, you know what? The needs of we are going to be more important than the needs of me. And that's the attitude that you have to operate in marriage if you want to do it God's way and you want it to thrive and be healthy. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Then listen to this. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, there might be some pushback. Matt, that's not, that's, not a, a, that's not a marriage scripture. It's all marriage scriptures. Like, we, we, it's, oh, that's about the church. Their problem is families and homes aren't adopting the word of God in that environment, so we're not seeing it play out in others. Says do nothing out of says do nothing out of motivation where it's just about me. But operate with we in mind at all times if you want to thrive and be healthy. One more point. So if we want to have a marriage that thrives, a marriage that God said were two become one flesh and operate with God's ideal and have this be one and done and move forward, thriving in the relationship that God has put before us today making sure that we're looking to the one for our identity and our fullness and our complete selves and operate in wholeness in him and bring a whole person, a whole person into our marriage. And we want to operate in such a way that God remains our priority and it's more about all for one and we instead of me. Then we can operate in one going in one direction. I hesitate to use one direction because I know some young people in the room will be like, oh, Harry Styles, and it's going to be weird. There's no young people in the room, nobody laughs except Diane. She'll know who that is. Because, <laughs> see, what you understand is if, if you're now one, going the same direction, going one direction as a couple, as a home, as a family, is so very key. Katie and Andrew, will y'all come up here with me for just a second? I love it when people don't know I'm going to call them up here. Could y'all just come stand right here in the middle? Y'all give it up for Katie and Andrew. These two are actually getting married here in just a few weeks. Now, Scripture says when they make this decision, the two become one. So you guys would just, would you just join hands. That's, a, that's the symbolic gesture that we'll give right here. The two have become one. When they stand before God and their friends and their family and they take this covenant with one another, God is saying the two individual people that they were before this, the two things that God created and all the experiences and the life and the gifts, God is fusing them together as one flesh. That's God's intent. We've established that. Amen? So now they become one. And it's vital that they get on the same page and go one direction. Because if they don't, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. So if, if they decided, okay, now they're holding hands. All right, guys, I want you to lock hands. Do not let go of hands. You're, you are united as one. But Andrew, you go that way. Katie, you go that way. That's uncomfortable for everybody. All right, come back together. Do you see the point? It actually says this. Look at this passage in Amos. And it, it hints to this. Can two walk together together? except they, they be agreed. 
Like can two people who've been united as one walk through life together unless they've agreed on where they're going? That means now her hopes and dreams have to be his hopes and dreams and vice versa. Their goals, the goals that they want for their family, for their marriage, for their relationship, they have to be mutually decided upon. Otherwise, they're going in multiple directions. And so many times we see so much tension in marriages because the, the husband has one idea of where they're going to go and where they're going to be. The wife has a totally different idea of where they're going to go and where they're going to be. And that's not going to work. If she wants three kids and he doesn't want any, them now being one is going to be a difficult go. If she has one idea of what they're going to do and where they're going to be and where they're going to live, and he has a totally different one, how are they going to join together as one and go two different directions? See, if we're going to be one, we have to be willing to go one direction. So people who haven't got married yet have hard conversations. Oh, we'll talk about that when we get married. Stupid. I'll call it what it is. It's not smart to do that. So many people that I watch get divorced. If they'd have just had the courage to have the right conversation, they probably wouldn't have ever got married anyway. Because they were on two very different pages about two very important things. Oh, it'll get better when we get married. No, it won't. Two shall become one. Paul would talk about two being yoked together. We all kind of lock more arm in arm. That's very, that looks very like wedding E, doesn't it? (laughs) Remember this verse? Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now we've manipulated this scripture at times to mean something it doesn't mean. Like somehow we can't engage people who don't believe like us. How are we going to win the world if we don't engage those people? Come on. He's talking about a very specific level of relationship. He's saying being yoked together, yoked together. And he says, you know what? When you're yoked together, you're both impacting the lives of the other. And he's saying don't be yoked together with an unbeliever because when you're yoked together, the impact you're having on one another is very vital and very important. And when you're yoked together with an unbeliever, they're going to be pulling you in a direction you don't wish to go. And you know what? I've thought about this passage over the years. And it, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us because y'all don't go out in your backyard and yoke some oxen to plow your field. But that's the imagery here. A yoke was basically this apparatus that would take two oxen and, and, and strap them together and make them one. And if they were going to plow the field properly, then they had to be on the same page about when to move and more importantly, where to move and how quickly to go in that direction. And see, some of us look at this passage of Scripture, and, and it's concerning. And I remember even having conversations with Andrew about this. We think this is not saying that you have to be on the same spiritual maturity level. It's saying you have to be on the same plane about who is God, who is Jesus, these, these foundational belief system things. But the importance of this working out together, to me, if the oxen are not going together at the same pace then one is pulling on the other, and it's going to be hard. And I tell every couple, if you're going to be yoked together, you may not know all that she knows about Scripture. He may not know all that you know about the church. But you have to equally be chasing Jesus at the same passionate level if you want to thrive. One direction. I'll never forget, when I was in the seventh grade, 
I, I saw somebody teach this thing called the love triangle. And Andrew, walk, go down there. Katie, will you go down this way? Just for this illustration, I'm going to be playing the role of God. <laughs> I hesitate. But I want you to notice what happened. If Andrew is moving toward God, come on, Andrew, and then Katie is moving towards God, do you see what's naturally happening as a result of that decision? They're not only getting closer to God, they are getting closer to one another. But if, if Katie is coming close, but Andrew is not, do you see the natural result? See, it's not good enough for just one. Or if Andrew's coming toward God, but Katie's decided, nah, I'm not really into that right now. Do you see the divide that it's creating in their relationship? But if they're both coming towards God, then they're getting closer to one another. And the cool thing about it is I had them lock arms, but you know, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says two are better than one because they get a better return for their labor. But later in that passage, it says, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So they're not only locked in with each other. They are locked in, and the thing that is at the centerpiece of their relationship, if they want it to thrive, is God. When God is the centerpiece of your marriage, he's the one holding you both together, keeping you fighting for this relationship, making the decisions that are hard but necessary, your marriage will thrive. Thank you, guys. Y'all can have a seat. Give them some love, y'all. The two shall become one. I can't overstate the importance of unity in your marriage if you want it to thrive. If you want it to be one. One more passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. It says, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in whatever you say and that you, there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And that is my prayer for your relationships. Perfectly united. The two shall become one. And if you want your marriage to thrive, that is an essential thing that you have to pursue. Perfectly united. Have you ever noticed the word united? It looks very similar to the word untied. And have you ever noticed that the only difference between the word united and the word untied is where you place the eye? The difference between whether your marriage will be united or whether it will come untied is if you put the eye in the proper place and you fight for one so that God can do something powerful. You bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're single, married, divorced, widowed. I don't know. But I know today is a new day and we get to get it right from this day forward. So what do you need to do? Maybe you're husbands and wives and you, you've been on the wrong page, on different pages. On, y'all ain't even been in the same book for a really long time. 
And it's time to allow God to bring healing and restoration and redemption and forgiveness and peace. And you need to come maybe and kneel at this altar in just a moment when we worship and just allow God to begin to do a work in your marriage. Maybe there's some single people in the room and you need to make some really deep commitments about some things. Maybe you need to allow God to make you whole through the power of his spirit. I don't know, but would you just allow God to do some work in your life this morning? And it may feel like where you are and where you hope to be is such an impossible journey, but today we're going to be reminded that he is the God of miracles that can do impossible things, even something as crazy as make your marriage, make your relationships healthy. So would you just quietly and reverently stand up with me as I pray? And as we worship, and as you need to respond, you do that. Father, I pray that not a single person would leave this room without allowing you to do work in their lives. That you would speak, Lord. That you would bring healing and power and passion, restoration, unity, God. And that we would just assess our own hearts and allow you to move inside of us, God. Do a work today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.